Take your, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to James chapter 4. We're in the book of James in a series that we have called Talk is Cheap. James calls us to move beyond lip service and actually do what God is asking us to do. Act like he is asking us to act. We as believers belong to God, and as a result, we have a call of God on our life. And that call is to grow. This year, we feel that it's to grow up spiritually, to mature in our faith during these months. We're to address the areas in our life that need to be changed, need to be transformed, and all of us have those areas. Uh, To become stable, to become courageous in our faith, steadfast in our prayer, helpful and encouraging in our relationship, and focused on our call. James addresses all of these areas. He, he speaks plainly and he doesn't pull any punches. He, he speaks truth and he speaks it straight up. In my reading, James seems to be getting stronger, bolder, more forthright with each and every passing chapter. As he writes to Jewish Christians that have been scattered throughout the world because of a great persecution that has broken out against anything related to Jesus Christ. And this morning, James speaks to people who are in conflict. People who are struggling in relationships. That are not not getting along with one another. And and before we go to our text in the fourth chapter of James, let me read you some appropriate words that Paul spoke to the Romans in chapter 12. And and let these words not be ancient texts, but let it be a direct message to you this morning. So here's what I want you to do, Paul says. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted and comfortable to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And and James is attempting to bring about in me and in you this this personal transformation, the, the needed spiritual change in us from the inside out. Trying, trying to get us to think about our life and, and living from God's perspective rather than from our perspective. And, and James wants you to know that God is bringing out the best in you, growing and maturing you. So we start this morning with relationships. R- remember, James is speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to secular leaders or warring factions in an ungodly context, but he's speaking to believers in followers of Jesus Christ in the church. And so James chapter 4 verse 1 says, what's causing these quarrels, these fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war 
within you? In, in just one short verse, he lays out an understanding of what the problem is and what the source of that problem happens to be. The difficulty here is there's a conflict in the community of believers that his readers are a part of. There's quarrels and fights and disagreements. There's hurt feelings and people not speaking to one another or worse, speaking evil of each other. Trouble inside the Christian community. That's the problem. But then he goes on to say that the problem is seen and experienced externally, but it really starts internally. It really starts personally. You see, you can't have peace in community if the people in that community have not got peace individually. If, if they're at war with themselves, if they're unhappy inside themselves, they will be at war with one another when they gather together. And the reason you're fighting is because you haven't dealt with the war on the inside, James says. You have issues. You have blind spots. You're not seeing the problems that are affecting the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you interact with one another. Quickly, right now, just where you are, silently... Go through the people in your life. Tally the head count of the number of people that you're experiencing conflict right with right now. Include friends, family, neighbors, work colleagues, school people, even strangers. Just come to a number. James seems to indicate that the lower the number, the more we're dealing with the inside conflict, and the higher the number, the more unresolved issues there are rolling along inside of us that are affecting our relationships. Verse 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. I said earlier, and I repeat it again, that the deeper you get into this letter, the more bold, the more forthright, the more right in your face James seems to get. He starts with, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of temptation and trials and difficulties, knowing this, that it works patience, and patience must have its, its, its work done in you so that you can be complete in everything that he has for you. But, but now he strongly suggests that there's a, a jealousy in the church, that there's greed and, and a lack of communication with God in, in lives of people who say, I belong to Jesus. You as a people are a dissatisfied bunch, James says, really unhappy with your lot in life. You're very aware, maybe even focused on what you do not have. It might even be more complicated in that you don't have it, but that brother or that sister has it, and it doesn't seem fair. 
It stirs something ugly up in you. It stirs a, a jealousy in you. And so you start to scheme about how they have it. And you should have it as well. And, and you start to think about how you can get it. And, and if left unchecked, those feelings, that scheming can take you to some pretty dark places. Take us to a place where, where we'd be willing to do some pretty desperate things for it. Again, I remind you that James is not talking to Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer. He's speaking to the church, to the saints. You are jealous of what others have. It's not fair that they have it and I don't. But that's the problem. They do have it and I do not. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough energy, I don't have enough discipline, I don't have enough time to get it. So rather than make a big deal about it, we walk into community already a bit testy, a bit ticked off, a bit dissatisfied with life and what it has given to us and we seem to be spoiling for a fight before we even gather together. We come on edge, we come critical. We come not with love, but with this ugly jealousy. And so we fight. We wage war with one another. And, and much of the time, not even knowing what the, the issues really are. While I might not kill you or steal your prized possession from you, I do hope that I have the ability to create a situation where you don't enjoy the very thing that you have and that I don't. I, I might not be able to move into your garage and take your luxury vehicle from you and put it in my garage. But somehow, someway, I want to make sure that you at least are as sad as I am, even though you have what I want. We don't like, we don't like to admit that out loud. But James says, I know, I know what's in hearts. But then James gets up close and very, very personal. Here, here's the kicker. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. We use that verse as an incentive to pray, and that's good, and I want you to continue to do that. You, you have not got what you need because you haven't come to God who promises to supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And, and that's a good way to look at it, and I again say, hang on to that verse and use it that way. But James is saying that and so much more. He's saying something deeper, something more meaningful here. You see, stuff gets broken. It gets old. It falls out of style and favor. It doesn't satisfy for a very long time. I have plenty of things in my closets and on my shelves that I've had to have. And they've been used once or twice. And sometimes they're sitting there for years, and they haven't even been opened and brought out of the package, not even one time. So the problem isn't stuff. Ask for stuff. J James is really saying, ask for the heart of Jesus. A ask for the mind of God so that you know what you really need. My wife knows that if I live to be 120 years old, I will never have to buy more socks. 
I have enough socks to last that long. I have enough. Don't pray, Bill, about socks. Pray about the likeness of Jesus to be found in you. Pray for the values of heaven to be found in you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you. Don't become conformed and comfortable to the world culture so that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. One of the commentators that I... I've been reading as I've been going through James, had an interesting thought about this one that, that I think should be looked at. He says that while it might be unlikely that we kill someone because they have something that I want, my, my selfishness can take life away from others. An example, if I were jealous of Pastor Eric's VW, he has a VW and I have to drive a Toyota. I, I, I might not plot and plan in my heart about how to eliminate Pastor Eric so that I can get my hands on his luxurious Tiguan. This commentary suggests that the time and energy that I give to my greed and my jealousy might not get Pastor Eric killed, but it might mean that because of my focus being locked up on what I don't have, I might miss opportunity to serve and to help the poor, fail to look after orphans and widows, not be present for new Canadians who need my help at the very least. I have killed opportunity and perhaps even caused the loss of life, a life that I could have saved. God, I want your heart. I, I want the ability that you have to see what's important. I only want Jesus. Give me Jesus. Jesus didn't lose his life on the cross. He gave his life as a ransom, as a solution to our sin problem. It was a selfless act. And James is saying, so you should live selflessly so that others can live. You, you don't have the peace of God inside you because you're not asking God to do what it takes to make you who God meant you to be. You've not submitted, you've not yielded yourself to the transforming power of God that takes you out of the mindset, out of the values of this world and its stuff so that you have not been transformed into a kingdom person that is designed to change the realm that is called your world. And, and James says, what a colossal waste of life and living. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Don't waste the opportunity. Verse 3, and even when you ask, you don't get, get it because your motives are all wrong. You, you want only what will give you pleasure. 
James carries on with this theme that he began earlier about unanswered prayer. He said, some of you don't pray, but okay, some of you do pray, and you pray wrong. God, this is what I want. This is how I want it. This is when I want it. This is the way that I want it to be delivered. Leaving no room for the mystery of God. Asking that there be no questions or complications. Be my spiritual Santa Claus and bring it to my oversized stocking by Christmas. In Jesus' name, thank you very much. I've prayed those kinds of prayers. Those big, bodacious, self-centered prayers that move God from being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present to being my personal shopping elf. James says, mixed up motives. Greed that's been baptized in sloppy grace doesn't give you right motives. You want only what will give you pleasure, what will make you happy, what will satisfy you for today and maybe tomorrow. James suggests here that that we look at how we spend our time, our talents, our treasure to discover how invested we are in God's kingdom and purpose and how much of our life energy goes into our own pleasure. When I connect with people, am I looking to add value to their life or am I using them to fulfill my goals, my ambitions? When I'm reading God's, am I reading God's word every day so that he can speak to me, transform me to look more and more like him? Does my prayer life reflect all my needs being constantly presented and not spending time asking for others and asking God to speak to me about what he wants from me within my community? Am I faithful even in the place of prayer? Am I, am I parking myself so that I can learn from others, learn in community how to be the best member of this family of faith that I can be? How many lonely people do I know that would benefit, would thrive and grow if I would just invite them to be a part of this family? Have I ever done that? When it comes to sharing what I have and what I've been given, am I known as a person who's renowned for generously living and giving to others, or am I known as a hoarder, someone who just keeps it all for himself? In recent days, I've been challenged to say specifically to people that God points out to me, if I have it, if you need it, If it's in my hands, then you can have it. I started to say that because God challenged me to realize that from his perspective, nothing really belongs to me. It's all his. I'm a steward of what he's given me. And if he wants me to give it to someone else, I can only do that if I recognize that it wasn't mine to begin with. It's his, and I'm just hanging on to it. I'm just looking after it. I'm just growing it until he tells me what to do with it. James says that I need to ask myself some hard questions. How big, how problematic is my hunger, my desire for pleasure and personal well-being? 
How much time do I spend on me? Has my world shrunk down to the size of my needs, my problems, my difficulties, and the jealousies that I have about what you own and I don't? If, if, if those questions aren't answered scripturally, then our motives are wrong. And, and do you remember a verse in chapter 1 that talks about motives mixed with prayer? James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. If you need wisdom, ask of a generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the winds. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. If, if I pray, if I try to disguise what I'm asking for be, behind a cloak of spirituality when really all I'm asking for is VIP treatment and really good, wonderful gifts, then I've messed up my motives. I've divided my loyalties, and I'm not a steadfast tree planted by the waters of life. I am an unstable wave that's blown and tossed about by wind, and I shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. I need to park myself in front of God and say, work in my heart. Uh, uh, adjust what needs to be adjusted. Make sure that I am loyal to you and you alone. Not the world, not myself, not my appetites. To you. Do what needs to be done to make that happen. Give me Jesus. That's all I need in this world. Give me Jesus. Verse 4, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Just when you think that James has been as bold as he can be, he stands up and he looks into the eyes of the church and he says, you adulterers. An adulterer is a person who thinks that they are wise enough, good enough, strong enough to keep more than one intimate relationship on the go at a time. They are never right. You can't do it. Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate one and love the other, or else you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Adultery destroys relationship every time. Every time. James says, you fighting Christians are attempting to do that very thing. You're trying to be friends with the world and with God all at the same time. God, I will give you this time and this space in my life. And then when it's not your time or your space, I'll be with the other loves of my life. The world and all it has to offer. Imagine how damaged it would be if I showed up at dinner tomorrow night with Debbie and I said, listen, I'm going to be in the house Monday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday nights, and every other Sunday. And then on alternate nights, I'm going to be with a great little family that I've discovered and pulled together and just we're just going to share. 
how well do you think that would go over? How, how blackened do you think my eyes would be? How, what, what, what do you think would happen with that? It, it wouldn't, and she would have some things to say about it, and, and, and you would support her in what she had to say because you realize that divided loyalties between my wife and another family makes me an enemy of my wife. Because I gave her a vow that I would be true, I would be faithful to her for as long as we both shall live, no matter if it's in good or bad times, rich or poor, sickness or health, together for life, no others. And James says, you can't have it both ways either when it comes to God. You either belong to Jesus or you belong to the world. If, if you are loving, focused, devoted friend of the world, you have chosen to make yourself an enemy of God. There is no third option. It's one or the other. James wants to wake us up from our spiritual slumber to be very much aware of who we are and whose we are and where our heart really is invested. So he's not playing games. He's, he's giving you, giving me truth, and he's giving it to us straight up. You belong to one or the other, never to both. Declare now, James says, which side you will live your life. If you say both, then what you really mean is that you've chosen to be an enemy of God. Verse 5, do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Scripture is clear. One or the other. You cannot manipulate the scripture to make it fit your agenda to accommodate your divided loyalties. At salvation, God gives the Holy Spirit to us. And we read in John's gospel that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a helper, as an advocate, that he will never leave us. He will lead us to truth every single time. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin, alert the world to the coming judgment. He will give you the words that I speak to him. He will speak word for word what I say. He will prepare and warn and tell you about the future. So do I really think that if your life is led and operated by the Holy Spirit that he will allow, permit, lead you into a different direction than being faithful and totally committed and devoted to God? If you are in so much turmoil that you don't know passionate love and devotion to Jesus, then you have not recently encountered God. You've not fully believed the scriptures. You've, you've not been led daily by God's Holy Spirit because God at work in us means that we are passionate about God, that we are faithful to Jesus and to no other. God at work in you through his grace, by his spirit, through his word, will always take you to the God-given mission that we've been given to reconcile the world to the purpose and the relationship that God has always intended us to have. No matter what the cost, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what age or era we live in. Give me Jesus. It's the only thing that satisfies you can't serve two masters, ever. The result is that you end up loving one and hating the other. Spiritual adultery doesn't work, and it will always take you to being an enemy of God. Verse 6, and he gives grace generously. 
As, as the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I can't tell you in recent years how many people have said to me that they have chosen, they believe in God, they love God, but they don't buy into what the Bible says. They have decided that the word doesn't mean what the word says. And, and to say that we can live in a different way of life than, than what God says in his word is not only foolish, but it's an outright lie. It's proud, it's, it's arrogant statement to say that we have no room in the heart or the vocabulary of the Christian to say, listen, I love God, but I, he, he allows me to live whatever way I want to live. In fact, you have to know something very clearly. If you say, I am a believer, but I have my own take on what it means and what that looks like, it is different than what scriptures say, then that is pride. And the problem with pride is that it's one of the things that God doesn't just dislike, he hates it. And he hates it because it's caused trouble in his relationships through all of time, and it has no place in the kingdom of God. James says that when the proud try to get close to God, when the person says, I know that you are God of love and mercy, and so you will take and accept my personal theology and my point of view and allows me to be self-centered, pleasure-seeking, personally absorbed in my own personal agenda, you need to know that God won't embrace you. He'll push you away. He opposes, he refuses to embrace or be enmeshed in the kind, that kind of proud rebellion. God won't have anything to do with it, period. Aren't you glad you got through the snow and the storm to get here this morning? Isn't this just warm in the cockles of your heart? But if we're going to be what God wants us to be, then we've got to deal with the issues. If you're humble, if you're like James said last week, I make mistakes, but I want your will as the center point of my life. I acknowledge your way as my way, your lordship and ownership of my life. Then he will give grace and ability of, because of your humility. He, he doesn't mind working with broken and messed up people. There is a grace for that, but there is a refusal to be connected with pride. He just refuses. Verse 7, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. J James says to all of us, take this, this stance. Assume the posture of a servant. Humble yourself before God. Resign your selfishness. Resign your agenda. Submit yourself to God's ways. Pray and walk in the words of Jesus every day. Not my will, O oh God, but your will be done. The, the, the word here used in the original Greek is a, is a military word. Submit to God. Be subordinate. Be completely obedient to the captain of the guard to God. Refuse to buy into the lie and the temptation of the devil to accommodate both light and darkness in your life. Resist or, or take a stance against the plans of the strategies of the evil one. Satan, be put on notice. 
You have no rights. You have no ownership. You have no privilege here. I belong to God. Heart, mind, soul, and body. And, and there is no room for another. When you resist the devil, James says, when you make no room for him to control your thinking, occupy your time, mess up your God-given agenda, he loses interest, he flees because you're a lost cause to him. Make it your practice to do only the things that move you closer to God. Eliminate distractions. Eradicate sinful practices. Establish a route that takes you to God rather than to things that take you away from God. Your to-do list that moves you closer to God may look like my list or it may be very different. However, you are responsible to make the first move. Move closer to God, removing every obstacle, embracing every opportunity, every word of instruction, every word of correction that comes from God. And when you do that, you will find that God comes to you. God grabs you and brings you close. That as you run to Him, He embraces you. And the closer you get, the better, the fuller the life that comes to you. Get rid of the things that make your hands dirty spiritually. Well, what are those things? Get in the Word. Sit in prayer and with God and let Him speak to you about the things that break His heart, that are found in your life. Let Him point out things that make you a person in conflict with others. Allow Him to reveal the selfishness that hides out inside of you. James says, purify your heart. Heart most often speaks of motive in Scripture. So examine your motives. Purify your heart. Fix the disloyalty problem. Divorce the world. Divorce its systems and values and embrace, embrace the ways of God. Be known as someone who is committed to and loyal to God always. This week as I studied, I, I've been singing an old hymn that I grew up with and it challenges me every time I sing it. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I, I surrender all, all to Thee my blessed Savior. I surrender. Heart surrender is an act of purification, unlocking, untying ourselves from any loyalty that we have with the world so that we can be completely, totally loyal to God. It, it takes action. It takes movement on my part. It, it is a purpose-filled commitment. It takes focus. It depends on your decision to work your way through a satis to a satisfactory conclusion. It, it, it doesn't happen through osmosis and good wishes. It's obedience to the Word that prompts that come up in prayer when God is allowed to speak to us about the things that have come between Him and I. James' call is clear to believers and followers of Jesus. Repent. Turn around from the direction that is wrong and go the other way. You, you, you are sinners. You're double-minded. Now make a change. Do it now. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. Come close to God. That is our responsibility, James says. Verse 9. Let there be tears. Let there be tears for what you've, been done, what you've done. 
Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord that he will be able to lift you up in honor. Repentance, grieving repentance is something that's been lost in an age of super grace. An age where we've assumed that because he loves me the way I am, I can remain in the same state that he found me. That's not grace. James says, no, you're breaking the heart of God. Uh, Allow God to show you what selfishness can do. Let the tears of sorrow start to flow as that realization comes. Let there be an understanding that what you and I have done to the heart of God, let, let sorrow be motivation not to return to this low point again, but let deep grief keep us focused on who he intended us to be so we never return to this point again. You've heard me say this before, and yet I say it again, because there was a change in my personal behavior in the house that I grew up in. The, the threat that was always given is, Bill, wait till your dad gets home. He would deal with wrongdoing. And there was a bit of fear that his correction would hurt me and my ability to sit comfortably for a few moments. But in the actual committing of the crime, I, I didn't think about that. However, at some point, a bit of maturity set in, and I didn't see his big hand and the threat that it had to my comfort. But I remember looking into his eyes and seeing the hurt that was there and the disappointment in his face that I had gone against what he'd asked of me. And that while he had done everything that he could to teach me well and keep me safe, I went against what he asked me to do. It was that look in my dad's face that started to come to me in moments where I was making decisions as to whether I would obey or disobey his requests. And when I thought of the disappointment in his face, maturity said, no, we're not going to do that. Godly repentance is brokenhearted at the prospect that we have chosen to ignore all God has done, all that God has given in order to do what I want to do, which ends up in distance and difficulty being allowed to come between God and myself. The sorrow that James is wanting us to have is to remember when we're in the decision-making process, does this honor God in our day or are we moving back? to selfishness. Well, God, all I want is some good times. All I want is to be happy. I'm looking for lots of laughs, the enjoyment that comes from friendship with the world. And James says, no, you've bought into a lie. That doesn't ever end well. Repent, turn away from the direction that is wrong, go the other way. You are sinners, you're double-minded now. Make a change, do it. Humble yourself before God and he will restore. He will lift you up in honor. It is not a constant state of weeping and grief. It is a dealing with the past so that we can move on to the purposes to which he's called us. I began this message with the statement that we have a call on our life this year. Can I have the band come back? We belong to God. And as a result of that that call on our life, we're to grow up spiritually, we're to mature in our faith this year. 
and, and we want to address the areas in our lives that need to be changed, need to be transformed, to become stable, courageous in our faith, steadfast in our prayer, helpful and encouraging in our relationships and focused on our call. Let me remind you of the call that Jesus has on our life as individuals and as a church this year. The words of Jesus, Matthew 5, 48. In a word, what I am saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously, live graciously toward others. The way that God lives toward you. It's a call to maturity to growth, to embrace the rights and the responsibility that comes of being kingdom subjects, to, to fully live out the expression of our God-created identity, to live generously and graciously one to the other, not being at war with one another, not being a person in conflict, but living towards others the way that God lives towards us. We, we've mapped out how we do that. We, we, we understand that there is a call we must answer and we, we're called to connect with one another, with people who enhance our walk with Jesus and those that need to be introduced to Jesus. To read and to study and to understand and be changed by the word of God, to be in it daily so that we become more and more like him. To serve. There's something that happens in our hearts. There's something that happens to our minds when we serve both inside the house and to people in need outside the house. To learn to take the time and make the space to be a part of spiritual growth in our lives. Being a part of a connect group, listening to helpful podcasts, reading books that inspire and instruct us in the areas that we need help and strength. To be people of prayer. Be people who know how to pray and pray constantly. Pray for our needs, but pray for the needs of the people in our world. Pray in such a way that God is given the time and the opportunity to speak and to change our values, our, our perspective, our practice. To invite strangers, those who don't have family, don't have home, don't have hope, to come be a part of the family and share in a safe, loving community. Giving. Be a people that are known for our generosity because it's the way our Heavenly Father acts and works and reacts to us. To be generous with our time, our talents, our treasures. Living generously and gracious towards one another in the way that God lives towards us. I want you to bow your heads and I just want you to sing through that song one time. As we just talk to God and just invite Him, say, God, come. Show me where I, I need some attention. Show me where there's selfishness that's hiding out. Show me where my, my, my loyalties are divided. I want to live in such a way that you are my one thing. You are the, the reason I live, the reason I, I function. Jesus, come.